Hi, welcome to the Inspired Painter Podcast. My name is Jessica Libor, and I am a Philadelphia-based artist, curator, and art professor, as well as artist coach. In this podcast, I cover topics vital to the success of emerging and established artists, like inspiration, mindset, art business relationships, and artist career strategy. You'll also hear interviews from art world luminaries who share their wisdom. My goal for this podcast is for you to feel encouraged, inspired, and in control of your art career, and to help you become the best artist that you can be. Hello, Fish. It's so nice to see you. Hello. It's good to be here. Yes. So excited. Excited to be talking to you today. And I am here with Fish Lee, and he is the fastest creator in indie comics. Um, That's your tagline. It's very, very cool. And um, you're definitely someone who's a little bit different than who I usually interview on the podcast um, in that you're in the comics realm. But I actually, um, I know that there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are in comics. And um, so I thought it would be a good fit. and yeah, and I and we're we're also going to be talking about living and working with a disability as an artist, and um, kind of like that whole um, everything that goes along with that. So so I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, so why don't you just tell people who are listening what exactly is it that you do right now? I am. Generally, I am a comic book illustrator. Other people will have stories that they want to tell sometimes stories they've had their whole lives they've been working on and they hire me to illustrate it for them and I'm a one-stop shop where most people do a part of the process I do the lettering the penciling the inking the coloring the whole nine yards give you a product ready to take to print I'm also working on my own book which is about to go to kickstarter soon and that I'm super excited about because in that I get to do all the storytelling, I get to do all the artwork, it lives, breathes and succeeds or dies based on me and my storytelling. Yeah. And I'm super excited about that. Yeah. And, uh, it's I can hear your passion. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't help but get a little riled up when I start talking about it, because it's such an interesting world. But I mean, I've been really lucky that I've got to turn my dream job when I was kid into my full time job now. And really, it was all in a way of building a career that I could do around my disability. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because I would have took a job somewhere else if I could have, like Mm if, if one of the local graphics departments was hiring, I would have took it because it was easy. But I had to go the hard path, but I built something that I really love and I'm super excited about. So that's, that's so cool. inspiring. And so it's so inspiring. And um, knowing a little bit about what you've overcame, I think that's really inspiring too. But before we get into your story, I have a quick question. Yeah. I see a, a very interesting belt behind you. <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, FSK championship belt. It was for a bit I did on my uh, kicks on my TikTok for the last Kickstarter for uh, one of the books I work on, Five Star, 
and uh, it's through the same publisher that does mine. And so I don't think I got the glasses nearby. I did a whole series of bits with the macho fish and I had these painted sunglasses with oh, macho nice. Mr. Fish on it. And I got the costume and the mm -hmm. whole nine yards and did the voice and was always throwing the belt around in the uh, little promo videos to help get people to go to the Kickstarter for five star when it right. was live. And, you know, anything to get somebody to stop scrolling for a second and right, look at right, your project. Right. I, got, I got it. Yeah, because it reminds me of those, um, those like wrestling belts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I totally ripped off, you know, Randy Macho Man Savage from the 80s, but he was just one of my favorite dudes. Mm -hmm. And I used to imitate him all the time when I was a kid with the, oh, yeah, and all that with my friends. And I never <laughs> thought I would still be doing that in my 40s, you know, on TikTok. <laughs> but awesome. it got a lot of attention to the Kickstarter. So I'm probably going to end up having to do it again for mine. Yeah. And that's interesting that you're on TikTok. And you, as you say, you're in your 40s. Because when a lot of people think of TikTok, they think of like, people who are like in high school. So mm -hmm. how has your experience been on TikTok? It's crazy. Like at first, <laughs> I never thought I would have any interest in it. And mm -hmm. like I had some friends that had TikTok accounts, but I had no interest in lip syncing to songs or doing right. stupid dances. Right. <laughs> and like, that's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. But then on our podcast, Five Star Fridays, we interviewed a creator um, and he had gotten a lot of success on TikTok just talking about his comics and he's a writer. He does the series Ace Blade that I love. We've mm -hmm. become good friends over the years. And, you know, he's got a following of like 50, 60,000 people on there, which wow. is insignificant. And it's really helped him in his sales and stuff. And I, I started thinking about what he was doing and I hadn't, I'm still not going to do bits per se, but I started wondering, what do I have to offer that could be helpful to somebody? Right. And then I realized I've got a lot of experience in working as a freelance artist and, you mm -hmm. know, working in print and working in graphic design in working in comic books. Like there's a lot of people out there that would give their right leg for the chance to make their living drawing comic Absolutely. books. And I get to do that. Even mm -hmm. if it's small press indie comics that maybe 200 people read, I'm paying my bills drawing comic books. And that's awesome. Right. Right. That's, so, that's amazing. So I great. started offering advice on, you know, how to make a living as an artist, how to be more professional, how not to fall into some of the easy mistakes. Like my first series was like 12, 15 episodes long about don't spend the money till the job's done. And mm -hmm. because it's so important, it's so easy to get yourself in a bind and spend mm -hmm. the money first. And then you're asking for more commissions and you haven't finished these commissions. Um, and then yeah. you're asking for more to pay the bills. And you got people that have been waiting six months and don't have their projects and it ruins your reputation. Yeah. And mm -hmm. just that simple thing of waiting and to spend the money until the job's done can save a reputation. And Absolutely. Yeah. And also I would have to add to that, like, um, like working on your commissions before you take, I don't know, like like working on your projects like in in um, chronological order, that mm -hmm. helps me as well stay on top of things. Cause like, if I let something sit for too long, it's really hard to like start it, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> A, I'll forget about it altogether if I right. don't like try and do them in order. And B, like if it sits for too long, it starts to get in that mental place where you mm -hmm. don't have the excitement for it anymore. Right. And then 
you know you need to start on it, but it's so far behind, I feel bad. And then it gets further yeah. behind and then it yeah. gets to be a bigger deal and eventually becomes too big a mountain to climb. Just knock them out, just right. get them done in order. And that saves so much effort. It does. And then like, when you start it, you're like, wait, this is, this isn't like, this isn't as big of a deal as I thought. It's just like, it's just work, you know, it's mm-hmm. just making my art. It's just another project like anything else. Like, you yeah. know, you, yeah. you take it one step at a time and, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're done with it. And it doesn't get built up in your head as being something too big to try and overcome. Yeah. You know, yeah. like a lot of people are terrified at the blank page in the morning. I absolutely love it because mm-hmm. I can look around the walls and see like 30 books I've finished over the last few years. So even when I get intimidated by that page, I just look around me in my little studio area here and I'm like, I got this. I can do this. This isn't a problem. That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, we're going to link your TikTok in the show notes so people can see that. So that'll be be good. We'll we'll all follow you on TikTok. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I, I learned about TikTok this summer. I know I'm like really late to the game, but I learned about it this summer from like a friend at a party I met at the beach and he was like, yes where people do dances and he like showed me like the dance and I was like he's like let's do a dance so I like did a dance and um I felt so stupid but it was fun and then I discovered that oh there's other artists on there oh yeah like it's not just like for high schoolers who dance Mm -hmm. so um so yeah there's so many professionals on there there's so many artists to follow (laughs) and I'm always picking up cool new (laughs) tricks there's so many writers and screenwriters and novelists on there that are mm-hmm. giving like short tips about how to make your villains more interesting and, you know, mm-hmm. how to hook a reader, how to the difference between mystery and suspense. And like, it's fascinating. I learned so much on yeah. this. I absolutely love it. I didn't think I would enjoy it nearly as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. And so you have a little bit different spin than um, a lot of the artists listening because um, like myself, like I create paintings um and but you create comics and so what you do is you create the story to go along with it so you're also a writer Mm -hmm. right the the visual storytelling and stuff is so important even if I wasn't a writer which I am Mm -hmm. I the visual storytelling is so important with it Mm -hmm. you know and and we do a lot of that in like fine art you know pushing the eye around and design and you Mm know showing drama and dynamic positioning and stuff to show that there's action going on and there's passion. We do this stuff anyway, Mm -hmm. but now there's the added level of you have to push the eye across the page and, you know, from panel to panel, and it has to be easy to understand. And then there's things that are unique to comic books, like the 180 rule, which they use in movies too, but, you know, like not to, you've got 180 degrees of movement. Like if you've got two characters talking to each other, you can look from, you know, person A's perspective or turn the camera 180 degrees and look from person B's, but you don't spin that around because then it gets confusing. If they go from being on the right side to now they're on the left side, it's confusing. And things like that help you keep the reader, know where they are in the room. Like, and it's also an easy trick for the artist. Like I can draw one really detailed image that shows you what the whole office looks like and then all I have to do is put like the potted plant in the background in this scene and a photograph in the background of this scene and you know where you are you know it like anchors you and 
then you've got the camera angles and the lighting and all this stuff that helps build the drama or you know make it seem peaceful and serene or happy or sad and all that stuff helps go into telling the story and I found that that's one of the things that I really have to offer that a lot of my competitors don't do as well like I've I compete with a lot of really talented artists, but the storytelling aspect and like the mm -hmm. capturing emotion is one of the things that I'm always complimented on by my, you know, writers and clients that I work for. And that makes me really happy because I put a lot of work into that yeah. and I take a lot of joy in that. It reminds me of um, like a filmmaker in some aspects, mm -hmm. um, like a lot of the same things that you're talking about. I was, um, I watched recently a film, it's called The Adventures of Baron Munchensen. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that? A long, a long time ago, yes. Okay. I was like, this is a very interesting film. It's like from the 80s. Um, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, for those of you who don't know, you should look it up. It's pretty interesting. Um, but it's kind of along the lines of like the never ending story. Um, but there's some of the shots I was like, oh my gosh, this is like amazing. Like when they're in the clouds mm -hmm. and then um, when he like dances with Venus um, and there's like all the cupids, I was like, this is amazing. And they did all of that without CGI. This is like before Oh, that's, that's the amazing part. Yeah. 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 So they were like, they made these maquettes and like they, they built these like miniature cities. So I watched some of the behind the scenes. I was like, this is amazing. Oh, it's um, fascinating. This episode is sponsored by the Luminary Artist Academy. The Luminary Artist Academy is a six month self-paced transformational course for contemporary realist feminine artists to blossom into the higher level of professional success from the inside out. The Luminary Artist Academy was written for you. As an artist myself who has been through the dark night of my own soul and through the thickets of my own limiting beliefs, in order to come out on the other side, I feel the struggle and I know where you are. I know the desires that you feel and the frustration at feeling like they are out of reach. And I have discovered the keys to unlocking your own potential and totally transforming the reality of your creative practice and your experience as an artist in a very short time after doing it myself. And I wrote the Luminary Artist Academy to share this process with you. So the Luminary Artist Academy is a comprehensive, detailed, step-by-step -step course that takes you on an odyssey through the inner chambers of your heart and soul to your creative practice and out into the world where you shine your confident feminine light as a luminary in your field. This course supports you every single step of the way to guide you into stepping into your highest version of yourself within your artistic career and your life. Don't let another year go by just thinking about it and without taking action. Being in limbo, saying next time or I'll do it later, is the reason why you feel like you're spinning your wheels and staying stuck. By doing the same things in the same way, you'll likely be in the same place you are now, six months from now, if you don't take action. Take the first steps today to believe in a different future for yourself. The gallery shows, press celebrating your work, and sales pouring in from your art is what you know you are meant for and what you ultimately deserve. Your most aligned artistic career is waiting for you. If 
it's time to believe in yourself and value your dreams. I believe in you. Explore the course via the link in the show notes or at www.thevisionaryartistsalon.com. Um, but yeah, let's talk about your story a bit more. So um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about um, kind of living with a disability and building your art practice while um, while dealing with a disability. So do you mind um, just kind of sharing your story about um, your journey with a disability and building your art practice alongside sure. it? I, uh, I have Tourette syndrome. I have a rather severe case of Tourette syndrome. Um, like a lot of adults with severe Tourette's, mine got uh, more severe as I got older. So when I was a kid, it was very mild and I didn't get diagnosed when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I had lots of little tics like tugging on my clothes or wiping the edge of my mouth or rubbing my nose. I would repeat things that I saw on TV. I'd repeat things people said. I stuttered. I would hold my breath. I, lots of little weird things, but nothing like, you know, looking like you're having a seizure or yelling out swear words, you know, which everybody associates with Tourette's. Um, I didn't do any of those obvious things, so I didn't get diagnosed. I just had some mystery illness that kept coming up every couple of years and causing trouble. Um, but I got along. I, I was just the weird kid, and I learned to live with most of it. Um, the parts that made it harder for me were the autistic-like aspects that tend to come along with Tourette's, like uh, not being able to read social cues and having trouble making friends, getting hyper-focused on, you know, one particular thing and not being able to get off of that interest. Like, you know, once I got interested in superheroes, I had to learn everything about them and, you know, what their, their uh, regular names were and what their secret identities and where their cave was and how their powers were based and all yeah. this stuff. I had to learn all the details, all their families, all that. And so that made it tough growing up to like, you know, make friends and stuff. But I was also along with that, I got a brain that was super active and is constantly pumping out creative ideas, lets me make connections that other people don't make. It gave me fast reflexes. It made me funny and clever. I'm a good drummer. I'm a good artist, all kinds of things because my brain works differently than other people. So I'm not knocking it. It made me a pretty cool guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so most of my life, I just learned to live with it and ignore most of this stuff, but it kept getting worse as I got older. And by the time I got out of college, it started becoming a real issue. And I would have regular instances where I would like get sent home from work because, you know, I, my leg was dragging behind me or I couldn't move one of my arms. And it oh, just wow. kept getting worse until in my 30s. By 30, I was in a wheelchair all the time. You know, I had been on crutches for several years. I had been out of work for several years because like I just I couldn't stand I couldn't talk on the phone half the time because I'd be slurring my speech or I'd be stuttering so bad or my jaw would lock shut and I can't talk through it. Um, it was really bad. I mean, for the better part of 15 years, most days I couldn't walk, talk or see. And like my ex-wife had to take care of me and, you know, help me get dressed, help me get to my recliner, uh, feed me if she wasn't mad at me um it was it was really bad 
and it put a lot of stress on a bad relationship which made all that worse right. and and I didn't know how to live with Tourette's yet because it got so severe as an adult I didn't grow up dealing with these severe tics you know my tics were pretty mild and like I wouldn't get really twitchy until like late at night when I got tired I didn't know how to live with it I was trying to fight against it I was doing everything wrong so it was making it worse mm-hmm. after a few years of trying all kinds of different medications, finding some medications that worked, finding some other treatments that worked, uh, learning to live with it. And some friends that I met that were older than me and had had, you know, had had more experience than me taught me to learn to surf the waves of Tourette's rather than stand in the ocean and try and fight against the waves. You know, because if you stand there and fight it, you're going to get knocked down and you're going to get overwhelmed. And it just builds up and the tension gets worse and worse and the ticks get worse. But if I learn to surf the waves and let the ticks come out when they come, then that one tick comes out and it's gone. It doesn't become a big series of ticks. I don't mm-hmm. end up seized up in a ball thrashing on the floor. I mean, occasionally I still get seized up with tick attacks. And occasionally I still have days where I can't see and I need my wife to lead me around or something. But most of the time, life is pretty good now I've learned you know how to live with it I've learned the things that I need like eating every day regularly setting alarms so I don't forget to eat lunch uh getting plenty of sleep so I'm a little bit tickier today because I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because I'm nervous about the kickstarter but you know I know the things to watch out for I know not to you know watch my caffeine intake and things like that Mm -hmm. and for some reason Chinese food makes me tick like crazy i don't know if it's i don't know if it's artificial coloring or what it is but something in it just walking in the restaurant will make me start to tick and really interesting i didn't even realize i didn't even realize i was in a chinese restaurant one time i just went to pick up my son from a youth group meeting he was at i didn't realize what restaurant i was in i just walked in like 10 feet to pick him up and by the time i got to the table I was having trouble seeing and my jaw had locked up on me and it wasn't until we left that I realized it was a Chinese restaurant. Wow. So, so it's not like a mental thing. Like I, I was worried for a while, maybe I just associated Chinese food with stress and it made me tick because, but I didn't even know it was a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, I didn't know that Tourette's had issues with vision. With me, it will make my eyes clamp shut. oh I see and if I the more I try and fight it the worse it gets it Mm -hmm. I I like to explain Tourette syndrome to people this way and I will explain to to new people that I have a neurological condition Mm -hmm. and it's like the the wiring in my brain that connects everything the insulation on the wiring is thin so you get a lot of short circuits between wires and you know sometimes something that was supposed to be a thought might shoot out your mouth as a as a word you know you might get cross signals that make your face twitch or your arms jerk occasionally Mm -hmm. it'll make me yell out something ridiculous in the middle of church or you know make faces at people Mm -hmm. and i'll explain what it does and then I'll tell them that it's Tourette syndrome, because if you say Tourette's first, they think, oh, he cusses, and then they shut down and they quit listening. But right. if I explain what I have this neurological condition, now they're listening, they want, oh, what is this new thing? I'm going to learn something. And then they find out that it's Tourette's mm-hmm. and they've, they've learned something new about it. And it's not just what they saw in a movie somewhere. Right. And 
it's a much more complicated neurological condition than people think it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a lot of people, it could just be sniffing and blinking and, you know, being squirmy in your seat and having trouble sitting still, you know, and for other people like me, they can spend a lifetime in a wheelchair needing, you know, people help them get dressed and get to the bathroom and get showers and stuff. Mm -hmm. It can be really debilitating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know a lot of friends that have service dogs and stuff and, you know, have yeah. aides helping them so that they can live independently. And, right. you know, I'm lucky. I'm really fortunate that I've learned to manage mine as well as I've been able to manage it. Yeah. And, and granted, I still can't do everything I wish I could do. Like I'm in my recliner right now because that helps soothe my tics. I, could not find a regular day job that I could work at when my ticks got better. It still wasn't good enough that I could just get a job working nine to five Monday through Friday right. somewhere. Right. I can't always see every day. I can't always drive every day. I can't always right. speak on the phone, but I've managed to build a career that works around that. And I do all my communication through messenger. So I don't have to be able to speak today. I only need one good eye to be able to communicate and one hand and I can I can work my keyboard and communicate back and forth with a client tell them I'm having a rough day, you know, whatever, I can work from my recliner I can, I've learned to do my art digitally I've always been a traditional artist mm -hmm. from inking and doing pinstriping and sign painting and t shirt design and all kinds of stuff I used to paint murals all the time by hand. I had to teach myself to work digitally because there's all these tools in the digital world that can help smooth out when my hand's shaky. You know, I can adjust the settings so that I can get the line I want and not the shaky line that my hand's giving me. And right. I can still work around my disability. But Do you use Procreate? I use uh, Clip Studio because oh. it's designed, it was designed in Japan for doing manga. And it is like the best software I've ever seen for drawing comics. Procreate oh has some amazing tools. And I'm really jealous of like, some of the brushes. Occasionally, I do coloring for other people. Mm -hmm. And one guy I do coloring for occasionally works in Procreate. Mm -hmm. And his inking brushes, you can see where the ink soaked into the fibers of the paper. Like, mm -hmm. it's amazing. I wow. can't get that same result in Clip okay. Studio with mm -hmm. the brushes I have. But some of the vector tools and stuff that it has just makes it so easy. Everything's mm -hmm. in one place. Mm -hmm. I can give you a finished comic and I never have to leave that program. I love that because I used to have to use like three or four different programs mm -hmm. to get a finished product out the door. And now it's all in one. And that's such a wow. time saver. That's so interesting. Now, I would love to hear about kind of the mindset because you seem like um, describing your, your journey from like being you know, incapacitated for a long time to now where you have everything kind of, you've figured out what works for you and um, you've improved your condition through some of the things that you've done. Um, what, what did that require of you as far as mindset and like, what have you learned from that journey? The mindset is you never give up and, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there are some things I'm never going to do. Like, I'm never going to climb a mountain. And mm -hmm. like, I had, I used to love kayaking and stuff. I just cherished it. Kayaking and mountain biking, I absolutely loved them. 
being out in the water on a boat that you made with your own two hands, which I've done, is mm -hmm. the most amazing feeling in the world. It's, there's nothing to describe it. And having to give that up was heartbreaking. But it's one of the things I had to realize, like, as much as my body shakes, I just cannot, I'm not going to get back to the point where I can do that successfully, not risk drowning myself. Mm -hmm. And you know, when your whole core body is dependent on keeping that boat level, every little tick and jerk in my body, just, it's a bad combination. Mm -hmm. But there's so many other things that I can do. And I had to be okay. That's one thing I had to learn in living with a chronic illness like that. You have to be okay with mourning the things that you've lost and the dreams of the things that you were going to do. Like I've always been a carpenter. I always knew I was going to build a custom home exactly the way I wanted it someday. I was going to teach my kids how to build the house while we built it. Mm -hmm. I had to let go of that dream because I, I can't physically do it anymore. Yeah. But there's so many other things that I can do. I mm -hmm. could still be there for my kids' football games. I mean, I had to roll in in my wheelchair, but I could still be there for my kids' football games, mm -hmm. and I could still cheer them on. I, you know, could still be there at every soccer game, every band recital. Um, you know, I've still been able to help out in my church. I've been able to teach kids. I've been able to play the drums at church, and and I'm playing my drum set, so I don't have to be able to see. And I've got friends that can help lead me on stage if I can't find my way there. As long as I get behind the drum set, I know where everything is from there. I can play blind yeah. all day long right. and I can still be of value, even though I can't see today or I can't speak. I ain't got to be able to sing to play the drums. I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I've, I've had the mindset of focusing on the things that I can do. I could still be here for my kids. I could still be involved in their lives. I can still be a good friend. I could be an advocate online to, you know, people that are living with Tourette's and particularly to parents when their kids first get diagnosed and to try and help encourage them and walk them through the process. And, you know, no, your kid's life isn't over and no, they don't have to give up on all their dreams. They can still do just about anything they want. They might just have to do it a little differently like I do, right, but right. so what, you know, that's fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Being an encouragement to people struggling with hard times, like mm -hmm. that gave me so much fuel when I was trapped in a broken body that couldn't do the simplest thing that I wanted it to do. But if I could work one finger and have one eye open, I could scroll on my phone and communicate with anybody in the world and encourage them and tell them that it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome. That kept me going through the, the hardest times. Yeah. Wow. And um, from what you've told me, um, the bad relationship that you mentioned you um, were able to get out of that and you have a new relationship. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I did not realize how much damage the toxic relationship I was in was doing. I didn't mm -hmm. realize how much stress and anxiety and fear that that was adding in made my Tourette so much worse because oh, really? it's one of those neurological diseases where like mm -hmm. stress and things like make it worse. Like it does mm -hmm. with a lot of other conditions. Mm -hmm. And when she just up and abandoned this one day, you know, I was terrified at first, like, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to keep the house? You know, me and my kids are going to be on the street, but once she was gone and all that stress and anxiety was gone with it and the fear of, oh my God, she's fixing to be home. What's she going to do when she gets here? All that was gone. And suddenly we could breathe and life got yeah. easier for all of yeah. us. 
and we all thrived and blossomed. And, you know, my career really took off after that. And I was really fortunate that I had started working with a great bunch of guys. And when these creators realized that I was in a bad position and I needed help, they were out hunting for jobs for me and people that needed books illustrated. And next thing you know, I had full-time work booked up months in advance for ever since. And I worked steady all through, you know, COVID and the pandemic. And I've been working steadily to the point now that I'm hopefully by the end of the year, I'm going to be doing just my own books by the end of the year. And that's mm-hmm. an amazing position. I never thought I was going to be in, yeah. but to be able to pay the bills with just my books is an amazing feeling. I'm so that's excited. A, that's so amazing. and so inspiring. And, um, I know that there's a lot of artists out there who are interested in doing the same thing that you are doing. So are there any, um, are there any forms or websites or um, job listings, anything like that, um, particular websites or groups that you recommend for aspiring, um, you know, p- illustrators or comic book? Um, find, find the places where people like you like to hang out and hang out there online, post regularly, post often, set yourself alarms and reminders to go off i have alarms going off all day on alexa telling me you know it's time to post it's time to post it's time to eat lunch it's time to take your meds and post Mm -hmm. and you know that i don't post every single time but it reminds me all day like oh you know this page i'm working on if i take this little snippet out of the corner that would make a really awesome post on instagram and then share that to all the places that people that are interested in the things like you're interested in do it like there's all kinds of groups on Facebook just for people that you know do book covers for novels and stuff there's Mm -hmm. lots of places for people that do just pinup art there's lots of groups for people that are interested in old style comic books new comic books and pitching their comic books Mm -hmm. and like I made friends just hanging out in those groups with other people that like to draw and you know like to look at art and like to talk about comics and I ended up making friends and sharing work and say hey I'm open for commissions and the more you post regularly and say you know I'm open for commissions this is a commission I'm working on if you'd like one message me and that's the best advice I have I mean in this day and age we are connected with everybody in the world all you got to do is find one of these places where your tribe of people like to connect and Mm -hmm. hang out there and show them what you do and it's so easy to connect with people around the world like I've worked with writers from all around the world I've worked with other artists from around the world it's amazing like Mm -hmm. this possibility was not here when I graduated high school Like if you didn't know somebody locally, you just didn't know any other creators and, you know, being able to have so many friends that do the job that I've done. And, you know, we all have different experiences, but I've got friends that have worked for Marvel and Disney and DC and Mm -hmm. Archie comics and friends that have only worked in indie comics and friends that have done both and friends that worked for the big guys and now do their own comics. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we all get to hang out and share stories and talk and it's amazing. Yeah, that is cool. You know, I actually went on a tour of Marvel, um, Marvel, where they develop Marvel comics in New York. Um, oh, yeah, yeah um, it was a couple of years ago, and I met somebody who gave me a tour, and it was really interesting. It was really fun, and I, I saw how like they animated things, and um, 
Yeah. And this person was willing to like train me and um, I actually decided not to go forward with it because um, I felt that it wasn't the path for me, but um, but it was really interesting and I, I can appreciate all of it. It's, it's definitely like a, a whole nother art. It's everything is related within the arts, of course, but. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. It's very dynamic and exciting though. Mm-hmm. And you've got to find the things that, that you love and that you thrive at, you know, mm-hmm. like I have found things that I love doing and that I was really good at and got a lot of satisfaction out that I never would have expected. Like I found out I love to sculpt. I would do a lot more sculpture, but it takes up so much room and drawing store flat. So I did more drawing, but sculpture is a passion. I absolutely love it. And I found out I love sculpting birds and animals, like trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, if I make up an imaginary alien character, I'm the only one that can say if it looks right. But if I make a mouse and that mouse doesn't look exactly right, you know it. Even if you right. don't know why it doesn't look right. It's challenging, you know? yeah. It is. And, and that challenge fascinated me. And mm-hmm. suddenly I'm doing all this research and I'm studying, you know, and I, I made the best mouse I could. And a friend of mine said, it looks like a gerbil. And I nearly cried. <laughs> but then as I looked at it, I was like, you know what? She's right. I made this mistake and this mistake. So now I can try and do better next time. But like, I loved it, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things that we can thrive at, you know, and some people love doing artwork for greeting cards. Some people love like hand printing and binding books and things. And that's fascinating. I, I enjoy that. I think it's amazing. I recently heard about an artist that printed his own sketchbook, like printed it himself in his studio, bound the books and sold them. And I was I was like, oh, that would scratch so many creative itches at the same time. Yeah. Oh, I'd love that. That's and so cool. Yeah, there's, there's so just, many disciplines. And there's so many cool ways to, you know, thrive in this business if you're clever and figure out all the ways that you can monetize what you do and mm-hmm. try and make as much money out of it as, as you possibly can. That's the one drawback to comic books. Like, we can reuse some of that art sometimes, but like, I can't reuse the same page over and over again. Right. You would recognize it's the same page over and over again, you know, but like if I did one really nice painting, I could sell that in a calendar and then on cards and then, you know, as a desktop background for the computer, like you could market that in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. It's comic books is more of a crank it out kind of job, but I also get to live out my storytelling. You know, I get to, scratch those creative itches that are so hard to find an avenue to do it in yeah so I could try and make movies but then I have to have cast and crew and all this stuff I can do comic books alone and yes yes um so tell me which brings us to your kickstarter so tell me about your kickstarter have you first of all have you done kickstarter before or is this your first time doing it I personally did one did one just for myself Uh, about four years ago for my first comic that I did on my own, which was T-Man and Hyperstrike. And it was a comic book purely aimed at kids with Tourette's. It's a hero team. He is the living embodiment of Tourette's syndrome. She has uh, ADHD and they're superheroes and they save the day and they teach a little girl to accept her Tourette's and find the hero in herself. And it was purely aimed at inspiring kids and encouraging them Mm -hmm. before the world beats them down and convinces them that, you know, they're worthless and, 
you know, I've met so many adults that are afraid to even go grocery shopping because they're so afraid that middle school girls are going to tease them like they did in middle school. And like, they're terrified to live their lives because they were picked on so mercilessly. And I wanted something to encourage kids and help them focus on all the things that make us awesome. Cause yeah, I might look like a weirdo walking around Walmart, hooping and hollering and waving my arms, but I'm also really cool. I'm really clever. I'm really funny. I'm a great drummer. I'm a great artist. I'm a great storyteller. I'm a great friend. I'm a good dad. Mm -hmm. Like I got a lot to offer the world, even if I might be a little twitchy doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, I want to share a little bit of that. I'm awesome with the kids before they got there. After I published that book, it did really well. Like for a small press indie book, a lot of people sell maybe 50 copies of their first book. I sold 400 without even trying the first. Wow. That's amazing. And that kept me so busy after that. I had so many jobs coming in, illustrating other people's books. Mm. They're like over the next three years, I've done like 30 books that I've worked on and it's, um, it's amazing. I keep looking around at the walls because I surround myself with all these books just mm-hmm. to remind myself what I've accomplished, you know, because sometimes you wake up and you feel bad today and you think, oh, it's too hard. And then you look up and like, nah, I can do this. Absolutely. Well, and, and also like um, 30 books in three years. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. That is a lot. Of work. <laughs> it <laughs> is a lot, a of, lot work. of work. Yeah, because like that's not just like the covers, that's like all the insides, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, occasionally there's a couple of books in there that are reprints of the same material in different places. And there's a couple of books where I did covers and pinups, but didn't do all the illustrations. But the whole lot of them, I did absolutely everything but write the script. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting to get into my own ongoing series. And I'm super excited about it. Like, the Kickstarters I've worked on over the last few years have earned over $61,000 as of like last week. Mm-hmm. And so the books I've been working on have been doing really well and they're successful. And now I get to do a story that's all mine and yeah. it's green zone life in the blocks. Um, you can check it out. Now you can sign up for the pre-launch page at go It'll take you right there to Kickstarter it is an awesome story. It's a, it's a heartbreaking, complicated world. It's a world where anybody could be born a genome with superpowers. And as soon as they find out you are a genome, you lose all your citizenship. You're no longer a human being. You are a genome. You get shoved into the green zones, which are like inner city slums. You're forced to live in the blocks, which are these gigantic overbuilt ghettos. And you're basically forgotten about because the world views you as a monster, as a weapon waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just a super villain just waiting for your day to go bad. And the only way out is this law that they passed to give them a token way out of the slums. And if you risk your life for five years as a civil servant, like in the military, the fire department, the police station, and prove that you're one of the good ones and you're not a threat to humanity by serving for five years, then you can get your citizenship, you can get your green card, you can vote, all this stuff, you can get out of the blocks and have a better life. They don't tell you how stacked against you the odds are. They don't tell you how only one in a thousand actually make it through Mm -hmm. to the end of five years. But this book, Green Zone Life in the Blocks, follows a group of new recruits on their first shift on the police force. And it's different genomes from very different walks of life. Mm -hmm. You know, one guy 
is covered in purple fur and has these big long antlers, but he grew up in a school full of genomes. He grew up in a nice neighborhood just outside of the blocks. And his dad was a Marine and earned his citizenship. So he gets to have a nice house and work hard and have a nice little living for his family. And this kid grew up as like, you know, the high school all-star quarterback. He was the most popular kid in school. Everything has been pretty easy for him. And now he's facing the real world and things Mm -hmm. are a lot harder. Mm-hmm. One guy, Virgil, on the team is like an eight-foot-tall lizard monster. Looks absolutely terrifying. He is the sweetest, kindest guy you could ever hope to meet. But he's been treated like a monster his whole life and grew up absolutely alone. He's an orphan. He never had a mother or father to look out for him. He was in the ghetto absolutely alone trying to survive off the of scraps. He caught his first felony charge at five years old because he scared some cops and they beat him up for it. And he has had a really rough life and he the only thing he hates worse than the police is living in the blocks and his only way out is to risk his life as a cop for five years all he wants to do is open a bookstore he just wants to sit in a little shop and read books and pretend to not be a scary monster for the rest of his life and have people leave him alone but he can't do that unless he risks his life first so here he is looking terrifying and being terrified of the whole world you know, there's a lady Bellamy in here that is covered in quills all over her body. If she bumps into somebody on the subway, she could get an unlawful use of supernatural force charge and go to prison. She lives her whole life in fear. You can see it in her body language. She's always like holding her arms in. She's always scared. She's always on edge. She's so unsure of herself, but this is her only way of trying to have a better life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you see some genomes that look absolutely human and could pass for human and you know how they get treated much differently than Virgil when he looks like a monster and there are people in the book that have lived their whole lives this way there's people you're going to meet that you know turned into genomes at like 20 or 30 and what is it like when you used to own a successful business and you were rich and you lived in a penthouse and now all of a sudden you've lost everything and you have to start over and claw your way back up from the beginning And, you know, what does that look like? And it's just, there's so much beauty and pain and suffering and just so much juicy stuff to tell stories from that I just, I cannot help but get excited for people to see this world and learn more about it. Also, like, I really admire your character development because like you're talking about these, these characters, like like this happened, like this is a real character. And then you're like, and he's eight feet tall and he's like, he's like a monster. And you're like, wait, oh, I thought he was talking about somebody like <laughs> he knows, you know? And um, yeah. I love it. I think that's like the mark of, you know, a oh, good character. Gives me goosebumps thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. But I just, I love this world. I love these characters. I mean, they're all like different aspects of me. I mean, but that's pretty much the way for all writers, you know, it's like, it's, it's one aspect of my personality or my experience taken to the extreme. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and what does that look like when it's out here by itself? And, and I, and I also see so many um, parallels to so many like issues that we're facing in the modern world today, like, um, I don't know, like discrimination based on nationality or race or Mm -hmm. disability, um, like all these different issues that I think that a lot of people will be able to really identify with. And it's it's one thing I'm excited to get to shine a light on in, in a way that I think will help people look at it without 
without getting their preconceived notions involved and look at it and just think, wait a minute, this is unfair. And if you can see that this is unfair here, maybe that can help open your eyes to other right. things that right. aren't fair. And no matter how hard some some people may try, they may not be able to get the same the same benefits that other people get just because mm -hmm. of where they were born or what they looked like when they were born or things like that. Yeah. And, you know, if you can realize how unfair it is for Virgil, maybe you could realize how unfair it is for other people in your community, you know? Yes. And, now, how can people support you through this Kickstarter and do they get a copy of the book? Like, how does oh, it work? Yeah. There's lots of different levels. I mean, there's always the, you know, if you want to donate a dollar, you can donate a dollar just, and we'll, you know, tell you thanks. There's lots of different reward tiers from buying digital copies of the comic to buying physical copies mm. to variant covers by, you know, more popular artists like a friend of mine, Stephen Butler, that has worked at Marvel and Disney and Archie. He's doing a variant cover for us. And, you know, Ooh. there's one tier where you can get all the variant covers and you can get t-shirts and there's all kinds of cool stuff that you can get. It just depends on how much you want to spend, how much you want to back it. But you know, you can read the book for 10 bucks, no problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm also doing a source book, which is really, really fun. And you get to read some of the police files about these people and you know, like the reports from the training academy and stuff. And it's not a lot of comic books will make handbooks that have like an omniscient point of view telling you the whole story about this character that is not what this is this is completely one-sided reports by human training officers about these characters and you can see how differently some of them are treated how things are referenced you know mm -hmm. like uh like for instance they they do random genetic testing because there's a an addendum to the law for trying to get your citizenship that if a genome's genetic anomalies go more than 49% off of human genetic mm -hmm. makeup, off a of standard hu human DNA, then you're considered livestock. You're not a human anymore. You're an animal. You don't mm -hmm. have any rights. You can't get citizenship. They could put you down if you're a threat. Like, oh my you gosh. know, might as well be a wild dog. And so Virgil looks like an animal like he has scales and spikes he looks like a giant eight foot walking horny toad and he has gone through so much testing his arms are covered in scars because they're constantly testing him you'll see in the first issue they pick him out because he looks like a monster for genetic testing the guy the doctor takes a blood sample it says that you know he's only got like a 12 percent deviation from human dna that can't be right so he pulls out a big giant drill and drills into his arm to get a bone sample because mm -hmm. this has to be a mistake mm -hmm. and now you can see where all these scars on his arms come from mm -hmm. on the police report these scars are obviously obviously evidence that he's more violent than leads on and he's right. been in a lot more altercations than we've charged him with he just mm -hmm. hasn't been caught doing it yet mm -hmm. not the fact that you're the ones that did this testing to him you're right. the ones that keep doing this over and over and over to him trying to prove that he's the monster he looks like but it doesn't matter because it's one-sided you know one person has a scar you know allegedly from an appendectomy like, why would they lie about that but mm -hmm you the bias is just all over the page and right yeah well I really admire the the world building you've really it reminds me of Lord of the Rings how like um J.R. Tolkien would uh he, he like wrote 
complete other languages and like mm-hmm. to, to like build this world out and it's it's really oh, yeah. interesting yeah there's there's so much that goes into because the world gets so complicated so fast right. Right. and you know and people trying to hold the genomes down genomes trying to hold each other down because i don't want you to get above me right. and you know people that hate their own kind and you know just there's so many complicated things in here and you know yeah. so much and of there's it so many parallels to like oh. the real world um so yeah i'll definitely link all of that so um if you're listening to this and you're interested you can go check it out um support fish in his um kickstarter and um yeah and it's gonna it's gonna be amazing um well thank you fish so much for sharing everything today and um i think thank you for having me on i really appreciate it and yeah no it's been a lot of fun to talk and and any chance to get to share my joy of my world i've created or my just the idea that you don't have to let things get the better of you and hold you down you can find a way to accomplish the things that you really need to accomplish and Mm -hmm. telling these stories was one of the things that I really needed to accomplish Mm -hmm. and I found a way to do it and I trust just about everybody else can too that is so encouraging well thank you so much fish um we'll be in touch and um yeah again if you want to and you can you can check out all of uh, fish's website everything will be in the links below and um yeah thank you so much fish um i hope you have a really wonderful day and i will talk to you soon thank you all right bye thank you so much for listening to the inspired painter podcast if you enjoyed this episode I would so appreciate you leaving a five-star review with your experience. This helps other people discover the podcast who might be encouraged by it as well. And if you are interested in booking a coaching call with me to create a plan for your art career and overcome limits that may be holding you back, please visit the link in the show notes or send me a DM on Instagram at Jessica Libor Studio. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, stay inspired.